Good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater Tunkanic. I'm so glad to be here with you this morning. If you're new here, welcome. And also, if you've been coming a long time, welcome. It's so good to have each and every one of you. I know it was freezing this morning, and it was hard to get up, and it was hard to get outside. So I appreciate you being here um, for the message today and for the opportunity to worship together. So as we start out this morning, what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to take a look at the screen behind me and imagine you're going through a dark forest as I read these things to you this morning. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemies triumph over me? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? And now my life ebbs away. Days of suffering grip me. Night pierces my bones. My gnawing pains never rest. I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly. With the might of your hand, you attack me. You snatch me up and drive me before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. I know you will bring me to death, to the place anointed for all the living. Surely no one lays a hand on a broken man when he cries for help in his distress. Have I not wept for those in trouble? Has my soul not grieved for the poor? Yet when I hoped for good, evil came. When I came for light, then darkness. The churning inside me never stops. Days of suffering confront me. I go about blackened, but not by the sun. I stand up in the assembly and cry for help. I become the brother of jackals a companion of owls. My skin grows black and peels. My body burns with fever. My lyres turned to mourning and my pipe to the sound of wailing. I don't want to go on. Why am I wasting my time breathing someone else's air? I feel nothing. I don't want to go on. I don't want to eat. I don't want to sleep. I just want to end it all. Why has God put me here? Does anyone care? Would anyone miss me if I was gone? What I read to you this morning was mostly from the scriptures. And the rest was from over 19 years of doing mental health counseling. Things that I hear in my office all the time. Today we're going to tackle depression. 
that sadness, that grief, that heaviness of heart. And we're going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about it. You know, over the years, the church has not always addressed depression with grace. Many people have hurt with depression for many years, and sometimes the shame of that depression is only increased because perhaps they've been given platitude sayings or coy statements instructed, read your Bible, pray more, get over it. When a generation of people discovered that that alone doesn't necessarily work, it drove them to more shame, to more feelings of despair. And the pain that comes with depression is real. And there are many that struggle with it. The suicide rate for those with major depression is 9%. 18 million people per year in the United States suffer from major depression. Another 7.5% suffer from chronic low-grade depression. And these are statistics that are reported. That means these are, these are people that said that they had depression. Imagine how much more for those who have not sought treatment. The incidence of depression ratio from women to men is 2 to 1. Now, women may actually be more depressed, but there's also a factor that comes into play there, and that is men oftentimes don't seek treatment. In fact, in my office, I would say that two-thirds of the people that I see are women. And depending on their upbringing, men may have been taught, you need to be a man. You're not supposed to share your feelings. You're not supposed to cry. That's weakness. So oftentimes you find different emotions that come out. Oftentimes you, you find the emotion of anger. And that can often be a secondary emotion to depression. You know, <clears throat> there was a time where I worked as a counselor and I used to go into the jail. And I never forget this, this day where this man in a very, with very large stature and very on the block, he was very mean and cruel and all the other inmates were afraid of him. And here he came into where I was seeing him in this little tiny locked room, just me and him. So here I am and he, he and then he starts like pouring out his pain to me. I mean, this this guy just, I mean, the tears are coming constantly our entire time together, just pouring out. And, I'm, and, and, and I mean, I was a bit overwhelmed. He poured out his pain to me. Oh, everyone else only saw that anger. Everyone else only saw how he treated other people. But he poured out his pain to me. And, you know, he kept crying and crying. And, and um, you know, eventually we have to end our time, Right? You know, so I'm, I go to reach for the phone because I have to reach for the phone to call the officer to, to come get him. And he says, put that phone down. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> Not touching the phone. And see, what happened was he was, 
he had to pull himself together, he had to wipe his tears away, and he had to put that mask on again. He had to step back onto that block and show that he's that tough guy. So he didn't want anyone else to see that. So eventually I was able to pick up the phone and call the officer to come get him. But that's, that, how many times is that often the case where depression is masked? It's all masked with anger. There's about only 50% of Americans who suffer from depression that will actually seek treatment. 80% of those that seek tre treatment can't, can be effectively treated, meaning even those with severe depression. And you know what? That statistic comes from a secular source. So 80% effective treatment, even for those that don't know the Lord. How much more for those that do? The, in, in my counseling, at a secular counseling center, often, I'll often talk to Christians and I'll say, you know what? You have a power because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we're going to work on things and work on changing, working on changing the way that you think that's going to affect your depression, but you have the power of God inside you. You have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that power is more than anybody else has to change your life. God can work in a supernatural way by drawing you close to him. Maybe you're here this morning and you can relate to identify and identify with feelings of depression. Maybe you're here this morning and you wouldn't say that you have ever experienced depression, but, you, but I bet, would bet that you know someone who has. Maybe you're here this morning and you're experiencing grief. And you know what? Right now it's pretty hard. You know, um, here at Bridgewater Tunkanic, we've, we've lost uh, two people in the last two weeks. Um, we lost John Broda, who is a dear brother, father, grandfather, great man of God. I tell you, I would love to see his smile when he would come in here. And I'd love to see his heart. He loved Jesus. And you know, he's missed. So we need to come around and support those that have lost. I, I think of Diane Broda. We need to love on her. We need to encourage her. We also, last week, we lost Carol Bixby. Doc Bixby's wife. You know, she was absolutely a wonderful person. And she leaves a legacy of, and an example of following Christ. Her heart was for Jesus. She wanted to see people know Jesus. And she mentored women for a very long time. And I tell you what, I, I, I'm glad I had the pleasure of knowing her. But we do want to pray, and we want to support Doc, and we want to support the Bixby's and encourage them. You know, when people are in grief, Sometimes when you're nervous and you don't feel like you know what you know what to say, it's okay. Don't avoid talking to somebody because you're you're not sure exactly what to say to them. People know. Even if you stumble over your words, give them support. Show show them your love. 
Maybe you're here today and grief and loss is not something that's gripped you today. Maybe you're here and none of these things that I've been talking about is true for you. But I am sure it's been true for someone you know and love. So I pray that you will find comfort today in, our mes- in the message this morning. <clears throat> Psalm 34:18 says this. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The battle against depression really starts with whether or not you believe the truth about this verse. Do you believe that God will be with you when, so- when times seem dark and heavy? Do you believe that the Lord is close to those that are brokenhearted? The battle against depression is won and lost based on what you believe about what God's word says. Do you believe it to be true? The Lord is close to those who are brokenhearted. So we're going to talk about what is true. What is true about depression? Firstly, depression is real. Have you ever heard the statement... It's all in your head, right? And technically, yes, that's right. But you know what else is in your head? Everything else. If you experience physical pain, if I put my hand on a hot stove or in the fire, guess what tells me that I'm in pain? It's not my hand my brain, right? So everything else we experience in life is also in our head. That's why an epidural works, because it cuts off the pain signal to the brain, so you don't realize it, right? All this occurs in your head. But the statement that, that, that oftentimes I hear, I hear people come into my office and that have heard people tell them that statement, and you know what it sounds like? It makes depression sound like it's trivial, It makes it sound like, oh, you could just wish it away. It's not a big deal. And so it doesn't, it's not a supportive, even though technically it's true, it's not a supportive statement to make because it makes it seem like, oh, it's just a simple fix. So depression is real and depression is not sinful. Some of the godliest people in the Bible experience depression. Elijah, Jeremiah, David, Jonah, Job, all these folks experience depression. And depression is not sinful. It's not sinful because how you feel is not right or wrong. If you are nauseous, is that sinful? No. Right? We would all recognize that. Of course not. But if you're drunk and you feel it can be and you feel nauseous, it can be the result of sin. But the feeling itself is not sinful. However, depression could lead you into some sinful behavior if you let it. But the struggle itself is not sin. It's not sinful to feel heavy-hearted or sad during seasons of life. The next thing that is true is that it has a cause. 
Okay, this is, this is really important. Um, there's times where there's biological reasons for depression. Studies have shown that there's a genetic component to depression. Also, there are physical things like a traumatic brain injury that can lead to depression. Psychological trauma can change the chemicals in your brain and affect depression. I've even counseled some men who develop depression after they've had heart surgery. I can't explain that one. I just know that that's what's happened. <clears throat> so perhaps you've exhausted many avenues as far as it relates to depression. And so because of biological reasons and chemical reasons, there may be a need uh, for medication as far as depression goes. But another potential cause is worry and anxiety. 2020 was a record year for worry and anxiety, which also means it was a record year for depression. Proverbs 12, 25 says, Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. If you separate yourself from people who can give you a kind word, then you spend your time around people that constantly complain or you bombard yourself with negative news or doomsday scenarios. You're, it, that's a recipe for depression. Sometimes in counseling sessions, I've told my clients, I've said, stop watching the news for two weeks. Then come back here and tell me how you feel. It makes a huge impact what we input, whether that be from other people or whether that be from sources. Um, what we put into our mind as it relates to worry and anxiety. <clears throat> Oftentimes, I'll, I'll begin counseling someone, and perhaps they've had counseling with me or others, and they're also on medication for depression. And as I work with them, I'll find out they have some intense fear. They have some intense social anxiety. And that drives them to isolate. It drives them to be alone. And in, while being alone, they're, they're sitting there in their negative thoughts over and over and over again. And this ends up increasing the depression. So then what I do in that case is, all right, well... I had to change the focus, all right? I had to have a more concrete plan to deal with this worry and anxiety because the worry and anxiety is feeding the depression. So sometimes worry and anxiety can be a cause of depression. <clears throat> it can also be spiritual. Psalm 32, 3 to 5. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you 
and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. That's not everyone's reason for depression, but it was David's. If you're addicted to sin, it will contribute to your depression. Because sin robs us of the joy of life. Sin robs us of the goodness of life. And it robs us of that joy and can lead to further depression. Depression can also be caused by your circumstances. Maybe you've lost your job, you've broke up with your girlfriend, you're diagnosed with cancer, maybe someone close to you passed away. I would expect there'd be some level of sadness or depression. Job was depressed because all of his kids died. Everything he had was stolen or destroyed. He had a painful illness, and then his friends said that he was a terrible person. Ouch. Right? He, his depression was fueled by terrible circumstances. So why are we spending this time talking about the causes of depression? Because it's not a one-size-fits-all problem. When you go to your doctor and you say, Doctor, my stomach hurts, there can be a ton of different reasons why your stomach hurts. You know, maybe you need medication. Maybe you need surgery. You know what? Maybe you just need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> just maybe, right? So there can be a number of reasons why your stomach hurts, right? So, so when we look at depression, there can be a number of causes as well. We're not just going to automatically, oh, that person's depressed. It, it's this or it's that. We've got to look into it. So naming it is part of the battle. What is, what is causing it? Because sometimes depression can feel like this cloud that has no beginning and has no end and it's always going to be there. But you know what? Naming it is half the battle to fighting it. So then after we name it, how do we fight depression? Now remember, you are an integrated person, meaning that you have a body, a physical body, you have a spirit uh, there's emotional, physical, and spiritual part of you, okay? All of that interacts. So we, anything that we do that affects one of those areas affects us ourselves as a whole. <clears throat> and if we're going to win the battle against depression, it has to be fought on many fronts. So we're going to go through each one of these, and the, the first one is we need to fight it physically, okay? When I do a mental health intake, I'll often do a, what I'll do is, is collect, you know, information gathering. I'll get a history of what's been going on, you know, person's childhood up till now. And um, I'll get a mental status and do all those things, information gathering things. But you know what? One of the things we do is do a physical assessment. We take a look at what are the medical diagnoses. What's going on medically? How does that affect that person? And in doing so also, we take a look at how much sleep are you getting? What's your appetite like? Because that's important, right? Because if I'm getting one to two hours of sleep a night, sleep is a basic need. I need sleep to survive. 
all right? If I'm getting one to two hours of sleep per night, I am at a disadvantage for trying to manage depression, okay? Any emotional state, in fact. But in this case, we're talking about depression. And so we want to fight it physically. In the Old Testament, there was a prophet named Elijah. And you know, Elijah, after experiencing a great victory, was pursued by this evil woman called Jezebel. And in this pursuit, this is the point, as he ran away, this is the point that he finally came to. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over coals and a jar of of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and drank. So Elijah... Elijah, this great prophet of God who's done these amazing things, he got depressed. Not only depressed, he got depressed, he was suicidal. He said, God, take my life. He had driven him, he, had, he, was, he had ran out of fear, he had gotten more depressed, and he wasn't eating and he wasn't drinking. And he said, God, just let me die. And God here provides an angel to say to provide for him for food and drink and so sometimes when we're going to address depression we want to make sure that we address those things physically that are causing you to feel worse causing things to go further downhill so as we move forward from that you think about what we need to do right so what we need to do is eat right I know no one likes to hear that, right? At least we're not at Christmas time where, you know, we got all that, those cookies and everything. But, um, you know, <clears throat> we need to eat right because, you know what? A person who eats a bunch of garbage is going to feel sluggish. And they're going to be tired and they're not going to feel like doing anything. And also, our bodies need good nutrition in order to think clearly and operate right. <clears throat> Secondly, that has to do with physical, is exercise. There's lots of free things at gyms right now. I don't know. That's, that's, that's common this time of year, right? Um, there was a study on exercise that was done. And in this study, there were two groups. The one group was on antidepressant medication. And the other group was prescribed aerobic exercise. And... In a six-week time frame, both groups saw significant improvement with depression. After 12 weeks, the exercise group surpassed the antidepressant group. Why is that? Because exercise can alter the chemicals in your brain. There's chemicals called serotonin and dopamine that help to regulate your mood. And exercise helps produce those chemicals, and it feels good. 
You know, I, I, I read a study, another study one time that said <clears throat> it compared exercise and chocolate, right? They said chocolate targets the pleasure center of your brain, okay? So I like chocolate, right? Um, but exercise does the same thing. That's why it feels good to exercise. Now, it may not feel good the day after, okay? But... Um, this is addressing things physically, and, and if you're doing this, and if you're actively addressing it physically, you're putting yourself in a better position to overcome depression. <clears throat> also, take control of the things that you can. It may begin with small things. You know, take a shower in the morning, brush your teeth, make your bed. Do the small tasks. If you, the house is really, really dirty, right, and you're like, oh, so much to do, pick one room. Start with one room. Do that room that day. And then do the next room the next day. Break it down into smaller tasks, things that you know that you can control, because with depression, things can become very, very overwhelming. So we want to fight it physically, but we also want to fight it mentally. 2 Corinthians 10.5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. <clears throat> we want to reject those anxious or depressed thoughts. Regardless of whether something is true, if you repeat it over and over and over and over again to yourself, you're going to end up believing that it's true. And the only way to battle that is to retrain your mind, which takes a concerted effort to do to train your mind to think differently. <clears throat> That's how we're going to fight it mentally, and that also includes prayer. God wants us to talk to him no matter what. Just like your own children, when, you, you, when your child is struggling, you want your child to come and talk to you. You want to be able to tell your child it's going to be okay. I'm here for you. That's what God wants. He doesn't want us pushing him away. He wants us to draw close to him. And how much more does he know, and how much more can he help us than we can our own children? Next, <clears throat> something I brought up, and actually the last time I preached was gratitude. You'll never get me to stop talking about gratitude. So if you, if you hang out with me enough, you'll know that that's what you're going to hear. Because you know what? Sometimes it can be this default thing where, you know what, I'm going to complain. I'm going to, like, you know, this is bad, this, this is bad, that's bad. And the, the, the benefit of gratitude and being thankful for what God has given you, being thankful for the blessings and starting your day like that is extremely powerful. <clears throat> so speaking of trying to get the change the way that you think, I have a model that I'm going to show you. <clears throat> And I love this model because it's very visual and it's easy to remember. So what you want you to think about is what drives the train. <clears throat> Here, there we have, we have facts, we have faith, and we have feeling. Facts represent the truth of God's word. We live in a society where we don't know what's true, what's not true. What we know definitively, without a doubt, what absolute truth is, is God's word. And that is the engine. That is what drives the train. Well, that's what we hope drives the train, right? 
But how often do we take that caboose there of feelings and we say, you know what? I'm going to have the feelings be the engine. And so what happens is you feel a certain way, then that drives the way that you think about the world. Then that drives, well, I feel this way, therefore, this must be true. And you come to a conclusion that's potentially not the truth, right? So if you come away with anything today, come away with this train image where you can walk through life and you can say, what is driving the train? Like I said before, feel, feelings, are, feelings and emotions, that's, they're just feelings and emotions. There's no right or wrong to them, okay? But if we allow feelings to drive the train, we are going to be all over the place, and we're going to be off from <clears throat> remembering what the truth of God's word says. <clears throat> this next verse here illustrates that point. <clears throat> Philippians 4.8 Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We need to make a conscious effort to fight it mentally and to address the way that we think and address what our mind is focused on. <clears throat> so in addition to fighting it mentally, we want to fight it relationally. The importance of having godly friends. You know, the prophet Elijah that I spoke about before, he ran himself into the ground. He outran Ahab, Ahab's chariot into Jezreel, which is 17 miles. So he's, I think of running away, I think of like, you know, like running like, to the school, maybe, you know, from, you know, he ran away and ran 17 miles. I mean, can you imagine the exhaustion? Maybe Adam can, you know, but, you know, <laughs> but, you know, it's, <clears throat> he just, he, you can imagine the exhaustion. He then, he traveled, <clears throat> then he traveled 100 miles south into another country to escape Jezebel, and he kept running. He left his servant, he was alone in the desert, and he laid down under the broom tree. So not only did he run out of fear and that lead to further depression and lead to um, suicidal thinking for him, it also led to physical exhaustion and it led to isolation. He isolated himself. <clears throat> Galatians 6.2 Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Some things in life are too heavy to carry alone. Isolate, <clears throat> excuse me, isolation is the worst place to be. Why was quarantining so bad for so many people? I remember in March 2020 when all this pandemic stuff came down and I said to myself, oh no, this is going to be bad. And you know what it has been. We've seen an increase in suicide attempts. We've seen an increase in drug overdoses. <clears throat> I'm talking about just in this area. And <clears throat> maybe that extreme has not been the case for you, but I am sure that you have been affected in a tremendous way over these past now going on two years. 
<clears throat> Isolation can only increase the depression. You know, and in Hebrews 10.25, it talks about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Because we want to come together and we want to encourage each other. That's how we fight it relationally. We need connection. We need to connect with each other and encouraging each other in our walk with Jesus. God did not intend for us to live this life alone. And you know, that comes back to the question you might ask, why in the world does Bridgewater push small groups so much? Like, come on already, right? Maybe you've gotten annoyed. Maybe you're sick of Amanda and I chasing you out the door. You know, I don't know. But I tell you what, <clears throat> I will say in, in my, in my um, counseling, what I always will say is that I will never tell anyone anything or ask anyone to do something that I don't believe will work. I don't believe in wasting people's time. So when I say that small groups can be a, an effective way for you to battle depression, I truly believe it. You know, sometimes I'll be working with someone with depression and I'll be like, we're spinning our wheels and we're really not getting anywhere. And I'll just, I'll be frustrated and I'll be like, man, I really wish they were in a small group. Because you know what? Small groups, getting together with people who love you and encourage you in your walk with Jesus, there's nothing that compares with that. Professional counseling doesn't compare with what that can do for you. Not only in depression, in general in life, as you battle the stresses of life, to walk through that with people together, that they can encourage you and they can love on you. I tell you what, it's fantastic. <clears throat> so, in addition to fighting it relationally, we need to fight it patiently. We live in a microwave society. We live in a society, I can pull out my phone, and I can be like, ooh, I want to know about this. You know, I put it in there, you know, I, I Google it, and there's the information right at my fingertips. Oh, how do I overcome depression? I can put it right in there, into Google. And sometimes the problem is we have all this information, we have news that bombards us constantly, and the reality is, is healing takes time. It's not... It's not likely to be this major, like this quick fix. So it's really important that you have that mindset when you're fighting depression is that have some patience with it. It didn't happen overnight. It's going to be, it's going to take some patience to overcome. And you know, <clears throat> Paul pleaded with Jesus. He pleaded with Jesus. He had some sort of an ailment. And we don't know what that ailment was, but he wanted it gone. And he pleaded with Jesus to take it away. And this was Jesus' response in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is the Apostle Paul, who we know did great things for God, and he led many people to Jesus. He had a, there was a, some sort of an ailment that he had that it was a, made it a really hard way to go for him. And Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. He had a work that he was doing in his life and this was part of that work. <clears throat> also in Romans 8, 18, 
I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Do you believe that God is doing a work in you? Do you believe that he loves you? The guy that wrote this, the Apostle Paul, was beaten with rods three times. He was whipped with an inch of his life five times. He spent years in prison. He was shipwrecked three times. And on and on his trials went. And yet he persevered because he thought that pursuing after Jesus was worth it. And it was to him. And he had that joy because he was completely sold out for Jesus. So when you're in a life circumstance, it doesn't make sense. The picture of your life maybe hasn't been what you've imagined it to be. Someone you love has passed away. You've lost a job. A child has wrote you off. Even if we don't understand what's happening, we can know this. We can know that we can look to Jesus. We can fight it. We can fight this depression spiritually. Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Jesus can understand. He knows. We can go to him. He knows and understands, and so we need to look to him. Isaiah 61, verse 1, says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. This is a prophetic passage that speaks of Jesus. Jesus was sent to bind up the brokenhearted. If you don't know Jesus, I want to encourage you today that he truly does change everything. He may not take your depression away, but all these negative perceptions that often come along with with depression, Jesus promises the opposite. So if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, these promises are true for you. If you say... I am a failure. Jesus says, you are accepted. If you say, the world is against me, Jesus says, I am for you. You might say, no one cares about me. Jesus says, I love you. You might say, I'm so alone. No one understands. Jesus says, I've been tempted in every way, just as you are, and I suffered a painful, horrible death for you. You might say, I have no purpose. Jesus says, I created you for a purpose. So number one, is that we want to turn to Jesus. <clears throat> and like I said before, we can't always do that alone. Jesus didn't intend us to do it alone. 
So step one is to turn to Jesus. For those of you that don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you're like, what in the world are you talking about? Like, please come and talk to me afterwards. If God is pulling on your heart, and you're like, I want to know this Jesus that, that, where all these promises lie, come and talk to me afterwards. And if there's, for, all, for those that do know Jesus, you know, it's a daily thing. It's a daily battle that we need to turn our lives over to Jesus every day. And we need to remember his promises. We need to practice having the train where the facts and the truth are driving it. So number one, we need to look to Jesus. Number two, again, get connected in a small group. You know, you may be struggling, you may be battling with some of these lies of depression, and you're tempted to believe these lies, and you're then you're there in small group, and, and uh, you know, and your small group leader or, or another person in small group is like, hey, you know what? That's not true. Jesus says this is what's true. He loves you. You're accepted. You're cherished by Jesus. There's that opportunity to be loved and encouraged in small groups. So I, I plead with you to connect in a small group today. Sign-ups are in the back. <laughs> um, and we have wonderful, excellent leaders. It is, just, it is just a blessing. My wife and I oversee the small groups, and it is an incredible blessing to do so. It's just such wonderful people that are just serving Jesus and, and, and loving on the people that come to their small group. <clears throat> um, step three, take care of yourself physically. As I said before, this is really important. Um, I've met with people and, they've, and, and talked with them, and then the interesting thing is that sometimes they'll be like, I'll be like, when's the last time you saw your medical doctor? Six years ago. What? Like, if we're intending to take care of ourselves mentally, emotionally, then we need to take care of ourselves physically. We need to go to the doctor. Um, we need to take, uh, get a physical. We need to um, eat properly and exercise. And I'm, I'm, I'm not the poster child for that stuff. I know that. That's Adam. Um, <laughs> but, but that is important, and we need to be doing that. Um, and step four, maybe you're just, you're, you, you've gone through all this stuff, and you've and you've worked really hard, and you've turned to Jesus, and you've, and you know what, maybe, maybe you might need to find a therapist. Maybe you might need to find a psychiatrist and get on medication. There's no shame in that. You know, one of the things that I really want to drive home is that I don't want there to ever be, I want to eliminate the stigma of mental health in the church. I don't want it to exist. Because of all places, this should be a place where people can come, and they can feel loved, no matter what. Did you know the word psychology originally means a study of the soul? And who knows your soul better than Jesus? <clears throat> so there is hope. You don't have to wander through the dark forest alone. Take the steps that you need to right now to step into the light. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we can never thank you enough for the gift of your Son, Jesus.
We thank you for the free salvation we have through him. We thank you, God, that you love us so much. And no matter what we're going through, God, you want us to come to you. So I pray, God, right now that you'd strengthen for each one here today. If there's any that don't know you, God, I pray that they would come to know you today. If there's any that are struggling, I pray that they would take those next steps to get connected, to, take those, to do those things that they need to do in order to step into the light, Lord. We thank you so much for this morning, and we continue to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.